Welcome to this late hour. A look at the world through the lens of scripture. I'm your host, Casey Knowlton. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today will mark the last interview I have focused in on our progress as a church on the Great Commission. Today is an exciting interview, actually, with former NFL star Todd Peterson, who is now involved in several Bible translation organizations that are doing great work across the nations. We discuss many things in the show today, including how many nations, how many people groups are, are yet to have some Bible in their language. We talk about the need for sacrifice, the need for preparation in the heart of the believer for suffering, amongst many other diverse topics that I had the privilege of speaking with Todd about on today's episode. So let's dive right into the interview with Todd Peterson related to Bible translations and our global efforts to reach every group in their own language with the Bible, with the written gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like to welcome Todd Peterson to this late hour. Mr. Peterson, how you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. Looking forward to visiting. Well, very glad to have you on the show. Uh, as you know, uh, we have a mutual friend, Doug Cobb, who kind of connected me with you. And what I've been doing on the podcast is just kind of taking, I guess you call it a kind of 60,000 foot view of what we would consider as the Great Commission. And just looking at what is going on in the world with uh, reaching the unengaged people groups, as, as Doug Cobb is doing, as reaching the unreached people groups. I've talked, uh, spoken with uh, Dr. Kent Parks about this, you know, church planting. But what often gets missed in this is Bible translations and just the significance of that. So one of the reasons I, would, I wanted to have you on was to really dive into that. So for those who don't know... Uh, who Todd Peterson, is, uh, Todd Peterson is, can you just tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. Um, well, like I said, it's a joy to be with you, Casey, and Doug's a great friend and man, and um, fun to have him connect us. And, you know, I live in Atlanta. My wife and I are creeping up on 30 years of marriage. We've got two adult children, a daughter turning 25 uh, in a few months, uh, lives in D.C., works for the United Nations, um, a son who is in grad school at University of Michigan playing football and fired up about the CFP. Um, we own a couple businesses. Uh, I played 13 years in the NFL and um, am fortunate enough to um, not have our businesses demand much of my time and effort. My wife and our partners really went, run those. And so I sit on a handful of private company boards and then a handful of ministry boards, uh, things like Passion Conferences, Passion City Church, uh, the Young Life Foundation, Pro Athletes Outreach. And then we're deeply involved in Bible translation. I was chairman of Seed Company, one of the 11 organizations that is unified under 
a vision called Illuminations and um, really, really counted a great honor to be a part of what God's doing in that space. That's awesome. So how is it that, you know, a formal, former NFL star kind of got into this position of working in Bible translation? How did that transition or that shift kind of occur in your life? Yeah, well, the simplest answer is football. Um, a teammate of mine at University of Georgia ended up becoming a pastor, uh, felt called to the mission field, became a uh, Bible translator, uh, having gone to linguistics school, and asked us, my wife and I, to support he and his wife as they went to the field. And that led to a relationship with uh, Wycliffe and with Seed Company. I went on the board of Seed Company. I became chairman. And before you knew it, we were deeply embedded and involved in uh, in the work and um, really feel like it's one of God's kind of primary uh, things that he has for us. What's been sort of the most eye-opening thing for you as you've sort of delved into this world of Bible translation? Well, I'm from South Georgia, about 15 minutes from the Florida border. And though I didn't, you know, live there my whole life, I, I lived there a long time and have been in the South a long time. And mostly in America, had a few years over in the United Kingdom due to my dad's work when I was really young. And, um, you know, I had no idea there were 7,000 plus languages on earth. I thought there were a couple hundred because there are a couple hundred countries, right? And right. the reality is that when God says every tribe, nation, people, and language will find their way before the throne and the Lamb, like Revelation 5 and 7 says, what he's talking about is the nations, the ethnos, the peoples of the earth. And that's not 200 countries. That's thousands upon thousands upon thousands and 7,000 plus languages. And so my teammate becoming a Bible translator was incredibly eye-opening and and then the thought that of those 7,000 plus 35 or 3,600 roughly uh, are with little or no access at all to scripture 1,600 roughly without a single verse and yet we have thousands upon thousands of variations of the English Bible uh, 100 plus translations and mm -hmm. and you can get a red Bible you can get a blue Bible you can get a black Bible you can get a hard you know, bound Bible, you can get a soft, you know, cover Bible, you can get a Bible for athletes, you can get a Bible for moms, you can get a Bible for grandmothers, you know, blah, 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 in English. Mm -hmm. And we represent less than 5% of the world population. And yet we've got thousands upon thousands of ways to read an English Bible. And there are still a billion plus people on earth with little or no access at all to scripture in their language. That's a great injustice, in my opinion. It's incredibly eye opening to realize just how privileged we are to have I mean, all those different types and variations and, you know, the different you know, NASB, ESV, King James, you know, all of that. It's amazing just how how much access we have and, and just not even realizing how much we take it for granted. Right. That's exactly right. Well, as you've been involved in this work, this great work, um, what kind of progress are you seeing? You know, you've just mentioned these pretty big numbers, the people who still have no Bible in their midst. So what kind of progress are we seeing uh, being made as far as getting the Bible translated in, into these uh, people groups? You know, we've seen great progress. Um, you know, the modern Bible translation, you know, movements about a century old, if you if you think of the the uh, 
you know, the creation of Wycliffe back in the early 1900s, Cameron Townsend going to, to Mexico, to, to Central America and working with the indigenous peoples there. Um, and over the last century, uh, we've seen tremendous progress. Really, in the last 20, 25 years, we've seen incredible progress. The, the, around 2000, the Bible translation movement felt like it would be about 2150 A.D. or later before we would enter the last languages. Mm-hmm. And today, because of this alliance called Illuminations and these 11 organizations working together, they're working toward the idea that by 2033, we would, by God's grace, eradicate Bible poverty. And what that would mean simply is that there would be no language on earth that was spoken uh, and, and, and living, you know, living language. Languages are dying and some of them lack vitality. But, but of the ones that had vitality and that were being spoken in a people group and, and still, you know, really a, a part of the, the culture and so on, that there wouldn't be a language on earth without scripture, that every single person on earth would have access to scripture in the language that is most meaningful to them by 2033. And that's a population stratification for that work. And so the smallest language communities would have at least a portion of scripture, usually defined as a minimum of 25 chapters, which a lot of the time is the Gospel of Luke, because then they can dub the Jesus film from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that 99.96% of the world population would have a New Testament. Those are, those are little larger people groups. And then that the largest ones, those with 500,000 speakers or more, uh, 95% of the world population would have a full Bible. And that the 100 uh, most strategic written languages would have two translations, two full Bible translations. And so, you know, right now today on Earth, a little over 700 languages have a full Bible. Um, about 1,500 have a New Testament. But when you hear that, that 7,000 plus, you know, that's only 2,200 of thousands upon thousands upon thousands that, that don't have, you know, a New Testament, let alone a full Bible. And mm-hmm. so a lot of progress. Uh, 2150 to 2033 is a big jump. Um, but at the same time, an, an immense amount of work to be done, and the headwinds have never been stronger. The, the last languages are the last languages for a reason, right? They're, mm. they're in the hard places on earth, the dark places on earth. They're, they're in places where the, the country is maybe what we'd consider at times closed. We know nothing's closed to God, but, but man can do a good job of, of trying to close stuff down. And, mm-hmm. and there's some places on earth where it's hard to do, you know, ministry and hard to do Christian work and hard to do Bible translation. So that's why the indigenization of mission is so critical today. The mother tongue speakers are more involved in the process of translating than ever before. They're leading the process now, actually, in many, many models and places. And so really a lot of progress, very encouraging, but still a lot of work to do. Yeah. It's almost as if God is asking us to do something that's hard and challenging that it's not easy. (laughs) No. And we're going to have to trust him. You know, we're going to have to rely on the Holy spirit to move in places and open doors and we're going to have to innovate. There's an immense amount of, of research and development that we're doing in technology. We're putting lots of money into that and and, uh, you know, to, to how artificial intelligence and, and some other technologies might be helpful in, in accelerating uh, translation. Because what we know is tens of millions of people are dying every year without 
ever having heard the name of Jesus and, mm-hmm. and without having access to scripture in their language. And so that's unacceptable for us, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Acts 17 says, God determines the time and place a man will live. Why? Well, so that we'll seek him and find him. And once we find him, we get the opportunity and we're invited in by him to be a part of helping other people find him. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's on our watch that this is occurring. And, you know, I can't lay in bed at night and, and just kind of go, well, it doesn't matter that they're all dying, never having heard the name of Jesus. I know what that means. That that reflects mm-hmm. a, a, a horrifying future, right? I mean, so we want to get this done in our lifetime. Absolutely. What is it about this, these new partnerships? And I mean, how is it that we have, you've, you've touched on it a little here, but how is it that we've kind of shrunk this date, this sort of progress from, I think it was 2051 to 2033? What is the main sort of driving factor that has shrunk that, uh, that, that time window down so significantly? Yeah, 2150. So, you know, oh, 2150, excuse me. Yeah, 120 years is, is, you know, a massive jump. And a lot of it is because of unity in the movement. Uh, Bible translation was historically pretty fragmented. Um, a lot of organizations doing good work, but not communicating, not coordinating, kind of siloed, not uncommon in the, in the church, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Um, and so today, a lot of unity, a lot of goodwill, a lot of everybody realizing we can't do this on our own, but maybe working together, we could be the people that God would actually use to do this. And, and so, again, those 11 organizations are, are unified under a shared vision represented by a brand, a, a banner, in a sense, called Illuminations. It's kind of the, the public facing and, the, and the, uh, the, the marketing brand of this, uh, what is called a collective impact alliance. And these 11 know none of them can do it on their own, but united together, coordinated, planning strategically, reducing duplication of effort, all those things combined with our influence and, and our resource mobilization as a collective kind of philanthropic community maybe we could be the people that could actually do this and and the lord is with us he's for us that's what scripture tells us if if he's for us who can be against us surely the enemy is not going to be able to prevent god doing what god will do we know god is going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth we know the gospel is going to be preached everywhere we know there's a day coming when every tribe, nation, people, and language will be before the throne and the Lamb. So could it be that the Lord would use us? Well, it might be, and we want to be those people. And and so courageous CEOs of these 11 organizations, myself and four other uh, resource partners, funders that kind of come alongside those 11, and we obviously represent many other families who have gotten on board with this idea. And and we just see a lot of good stuff happening. The, the Bible translation movement today, we, we, we talk about it in terms of it being characterized by generosity, humility, and integrity. And all of those things foster unity. And so 11 CEOs leaning toward each other, assuming the best of each other, their organizations being generous toward one another, them being humble before God and humble before each other. Uh, them being transparent, honest, open, full of integrity. Hey, when they blow it, they confess their they they blew it. We didn't get it done. We did we failed to meet our timeline. It's our fault. Forgive us. And that's a paradigm shift in the ministry world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're getting rid of territorialism. We're getting rid of pride. And God loves it when brothers dwell together in unity. Absolutely. Do you know, sort of off the top of your head, what are some of the maybe more the larger or more significant uh, groups that are 
uh, really needing, I mean, all these groups are needing Bible, but are there some that are particularly tricky or have been uh, kind of hard to navigate as far as getting the Bible to them? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is consistent with what we think of in the missions world as the 1040 window, right? I mean, when you look at North Africa, you work your way across, you know, the Middle East, Central Asia, into South Asia, Southeast Asia. Um, That's where a lot of them are. Obviously, India and China are massive population groups as a country, you know, as countries, respectively. And so you still do have fairly large people groups in some of those uh, countries where there there is a need for translation, um, but it's it's you know it's it, the, the numbers are getting smaller, which is a good thing. I mean, obviously, the largest population groups, most of them have scripture, and so we're not talking about you know very often tens of millions or hundred million you know person language communities that don't have scripture. A lot of that work has been done, thankfully. You know, a lot of the remaining work is, you know, a people group that maybe has a couple million speakers or, or in some instances, maybe a few more than that. And then a whole lot of them are, you know, in some sense, what are sometimes considered minority languages. But for the person who likes to make the argument, you know, well, they they don't need the scripture. They can just learn to speak Spanish or French or or, you know, Portuguese or whatever. That's not what Revelation says. Revelation mm-hmm. The ethnos, right? All mm-hmm. tribes, nations, peoples, and languages, right? And mm-hmm. so we know missiologically that's an incorrect perception, you know, and, and what needs to happen is everybody needs access to scripture in their language. When a people group gets scripture in their language for the first time, this is what they say. Today, God is no longer a stranger to us. Today, God is one of us. Today, God speaks our language. How can they believe in a loving God if they don't think he speaks their language? Mm-hmm. It's one of the most dignifying things there is in culture. Mm-hmm. What if what if you had to, you know, pray to God in a language you couldn't speak and understand? I, 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 I took five years of French. I made straight A's. If you put a French Bible in front of me, I wouldn't be able to have a quiet time. Right. No chance. And I sure as heck, I'm not going to cry out to God in French. Hmm. I'm going to cry out to God in my mother tongue, my heart language, the language I grew up speaking, the language I heard my mother speak to me when I was a baby. So it's it's a work that's necessary. It's a work that's being done. It's being done faster and better than ever before. But there's still challenge to your point. And, and a lot of those hard places are the types of places we think of regularly. And some of those languages don't even, you know, we can't even use their real name. They have pseudonyms because you don't want to put t- translation teams in harm's way. And, and there are real things happening. I was with a dear friend uh, just the other day. My wife and I bumped into her in the airport and she's deeply invested in the Middle East. She and her husband uh, are involved in illuminations with us and and she travels to the Middle East regularly and and they when she was over there, one of the key people on one of the teams that she's involved with, a uh, married gentleman, wife, three children, um, he is shot in the head in their vehicle as he is you know driving and pulls up to a place where somebody can actually take a shot at him and killed right then right there because mm. of the work he's involved in and so these are hard places. Hmm. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, I, I think it's it's easy. What I've seen is I've kind of been 
looking at this, you know, through these different lenses and speaking to different mission organizations and such is just, there's a often a kind of a cloud or a perception here in the Western comforts of just not realizing just how, how much is actually being required of those who are risking everything to, to get the good word to these far and away lands. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, our suffering looks very different than our brothers and sisters around the world. I, I oftentimes when I'm speaking at things, not even necessarily just, you know, related to Bible translation in my church or at one of these other ministries we're involved with and give to, you know, there's a passage in Philippians at the tail end of, of chapter one, where it talks about there's a privilege in trusting God. But the same verse, the tail end of it in a translation, and I don't know that all translations say it the same way, but I know that the one that I have read and really meditated on says in the exact same verse at the tail end, there's also privilege in suffering with Christ. Hmm. We don't talk a lot about the second part of that verse in the American church. We love the notion and the idea of trusting God. We'll, We'll embrace that. And, and sometimes we embrace it kicking and screaming. A lot of times we like to trust ourselves. We like to trust our money. We like to trust our connections, our influence, and so on. But most people in the church will embrace the idea that in order to have a relationship with God, we got to trust him. But we are not so quick to embrace the idea that in trusting him, we'll also be invited to suffer with Christ. And yet our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering in ways we can't even comprehend all the time, daily. Mm-hmm. They've put themselves in harm's way to see the gospel advance. And, you know, Philippians 1 also goes, uh, it, it says prior to that, it says uh, when Paul is, is you know, sitting there, probably our best guess is in a dungeon cell, probably chained to the wall, rats crawling around, dark, damp, smelly, probably been beaten up. He says in verse 12, I tell you, my brothers, my circumstances will turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. Hmm. Well, I think that's something our brothers and sisters around the world have embraced. We have to embrace that. Hmm. We have to understand there's a privilege in suffering with Christ. There's a privilege in laying our lives down so that someone else can be lifted up. And ultimately, if we believe that eternal treasure is worth more than earthly treasure, then we should be willing to do that. Yes. Yes. I think there's a great deal of um, preparation a believer must make, particularly in a Western culture, uh, preparing your heart for suffering, because it's not even something we've entertained necessarily. Like you've said with that Philippians verse, we'll do the trusting, but we're not really, you know, counting it all joy to suffer and even thinking about that kind of suffering. But uh, certainly we see that increasing and I I don't think we're going to be strangers to it you know, for much longer, uh, the way things are going in the world. I agree. I think there's a day and a time coming in our country where we are likely going to be in a position where we suffer differently. And to your point, we need to be prepared for that. Absolutely. Really quickly. So as far as, you know, some of these uh, people groups that we're reaching now, would this include maybe groups we wouldn't necessarily always think to consider such as like uh the hearing impaired or the you know the deaf yes for sure uh in those 1600 without a single verse and the 3600 
you know, with little or no access at all is included 300 plus deaf languages. And that's another example of my ignorance years ago. Somebody said to me how many sign languages there are. I would have thought one. And the idea that there are 300 plus, nearly 350 different sign languages in God's eyes means that's 300 plus other folks, you know, other people groups who need scripture in their language. And so it does include um, those. Obviously, a lot of this work will be oral culture related. And so a lot of it's not necessarily going to be, the the focus of it is not going to necessarily be written translation. There's a lot of oral Bible translation going on because so many of these cultures are uh, cultures of orality. And um, so I think the missiological world and and these CEOs are leading these missions agencies, these translation agencies have really done good thinking around what does it really look like to, you know, one, reach people, engage them, ensure that the, the, the church is, you know, uh, multiplying and, and self-sustaining uh, in a sense, self-perpetuating, and that the scriptures are available in the language of the people so that, in fact, discipleship can occur and disciples can be made. And, and you can see disciple-making movements, you know, spawned out of these things and these church planning networks, etc. You know, I've, one of the things I've noticed is uh, there's a lot of, you know, with the Bible translation, with uh, reaching the unengaged, which are people who have never heard any gospel, to the unreached who have a, you know, a small percentage of Christians in their midst, but, you know, have largely a culture that is unchurched or, un, you know, unreached. Um, I, I keep hearing these these goals, these these dates of 2030, 2033, and the sort of momentum. When I was speaking to Dr. Kent Parks, he was mentioning he really was seeing kind of a what he called a first century kind of um, church explosion where, you know, there was this sort of return to form with how um, they've been reaching many different groups uh, and just sort of this change in, in bringing the unity and kind of getting past some of these we'll call them denominational divides, things like that, where we're all sort of uniting. How significant is it that we're seeing this sort of um, united push and that we have sort of a, a, a line in the sand or at least a tentative date where we're going, hey, we can see it. It's there. I mean, how significant is that for the church to, to be nearing such a moment? I think it's massive. I mean, um I mean, a few things pop into my mind. One, you know, the scripture says the gospel will be preached everywhere and then the end will come. Well, we don't know when the end will come and whether or not these dates are arbitrary or they're God given remains to be seen. But what we do know is the end will not come till the gospel has been preached everywhere. Well, scripture translation is key to the gospel being preached everywhere. And if in fact, these 11 organizations believe that they could actually be on the precipice of, of having translated all the languages of the world by 2033, the gospel will likely have been preached everywhere by that point in time. Mm. That means people better get ready. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to lay it all on the line, to leave it all on the field, as we said in my NFL career. And, you know, another thing we used to talk about in college and, and my college football career that's so true and, and I believe, you know, obviously applied to, to 13 years in the NFL, five years of college, 13 of the NFL, 18 years of, you know, playing football at the highest level on teams. We always used to say team stands for together everyone achieves more. 
and there is no I in team. We're not going to get it done. We're not going to fulfill the Great Commission. We're not going to make disciples of all nations. We're not going to see the gospel preached everywhere if we don't work together. It's God's design for man. Mm-hmm. Look at Genesis. He created us to work together. He created us to be in relationship. He created a man for a woman, a husband for a wife. He created us to partner together, many members, one body, different gifts given to different people. And if we work together, what God tells us over and again is he blesses that. And so we're seeing a lot of unification. We're seeing these unity, you know, uh, efforts inside movements, sectors, different ministry spaces, This date around 2030, 2033 is obviously becoming more and more prevalent. My suspicion is, without being an eschatologist, not having been to seminary, I'm not a guy who's saying that the end is tomorrow or there's a date that I know, but my suspicion is the Holy Spirit is doing something. Mm -hmm. Clearly. Clearly. We know he's doing something, but he's doing something that's palpable. We can even observe it. And what that is exactly, we don't know. But it sure is pointing to something in this next decade in our generation happening that's going to be really, really significant. And so I think it's a massive thing that we're seeing this. Yeah, well, it's, it's good to hear you say that. I mean, it's sort of the whole point of the show. It's one of the reasons we're speaking right now. Uh, there just seems to be a convergence of all these things happening. And, you know, one of the reasons I do this podcast is not just to simply highlight, look how bad things are getting, but also look at all God is doing. And we can see it and we can get excited about it. And that's where we need to keep our focus. And interestingly enough, you just said, uh, you know, look at Genesis, look at the design, you know, one man, one woman, you know, you were making a point there uh, bigger than that specific uh, verse. But uh, I find it interesting. We we spoke of suffering. Well, uh, there's a good chance based on what I've just read on the news. There's a bill that just passed. uh, They call it the Respect for Marriage Act. It could very well bring a lot of pressure and heat on anyone who would declare such a thing, uh, any church, any person, any movement that would say, well, this is the design for marriage. I mean, even now we're seeing even the most basic sort of biblical principles beginning to uh, come under attack. And so I think if people think it couldn't happen here, it's just not the case. (laughs) It's just not the case. No, I think that's true. I mean, I think our country is experiencing a moral decline. Anybody who wants to argue that can argue with themselves because it's obvious. And, mm. and I think that you, um, you know, you you are pointing to a reality, right? And, right. and we live today in a time where things are under attack that have been believed by most people for for century upon century upon century as being reasonable and true and uh, God designed, et cetera. And, you know, I, I believe that, I, you know, now in my comment a minute ago, I wasn't, I wasn't focusing as much on that as I was focusing on God's design for man, that we are to work together. We're to, we're to be in relationship. We're to be in community. We're not to be isolated. We're not to be on our own. Right. In the context of marriage, God clearly said man needed a partner. He needed a helper. He needed a wife. A husband needs a wife. And the same way I, I know I know how to, you know, do business and make money and give money and get my friends to give money. I don't know how to translate scripture. I'm not a linguist. I'm not a Bible translator. I'm not a missiologist. I'm not a seminarian. But I do know that my friends who are need my help. 
and I can help them. I can partner with them. Many members, one body. And we each need to run in our lane. We've each been given gifts. We need to use our gifts for God's glory on this earth. Mm-hmm. And we need to do everything we can in partnership with each other to accomplish more than any one of us can alone. That's the beauty, in my opinion, of my marriage with my wife. We can do way more together than one of us could do alone. Mm. We're partners in life. We accomplish way more than either of us could alone. It's the same with business partners, my business partners. We get way more done together than any one of us can alone. And yet there are a lot of people that love to be individualistic and, and independent, and they're siloed, and they operate on their own, and they're isolated. And when you talk about spiritual warfare and you talk about suffering and so on, just watch National Geographic. Watch who the cheetah or the leopard or the lion go after. They go after the animal over there on the edge on its own. I'm going to live life with other people. Hmm. I'm going to be in community. I'm going to be in the local church. I'm going to be a part of a team. This is going to make it a heck of a lot harder for the enemy to take me out. I'm reminded of uh, Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, the, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That's exactly right. And pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Hmm. So we're in a day and a time where falling down is a real thing, and it's happening more and more often. It I don't is. want to fall down and not have somebody to help me up. And, you know, Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron and one man sharpening another. And that's why I like Doug Cobb and he's a friend because we sharpen each other and he's helpful to me and I'm helpful to him. And that's the beauty of working together. Absolutely. And as, as you mentioned, you know, as the world continues to decline as far as morals and, and we see the darkness growing, you know, the more vulnerable we, we will be to such, you know, temptations and attacks. And if we are not in community with other believers and in communion with our God, we don't stand a chance. That's right. Very true. Very true. So how can people get involved in this important work of Bible translation? Yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is go to illuminations.bible. That, that kind of connects them with the, um, you know, with the public facing side of it. Um, you know, Doug, Doug and I certainly relate to, you know, a lot of other people. And, and if people, um, you know, out there uh, have questions they can't find answers to, you know, on that site, then they can certainly, um, you know, a- ask a question and, and it'll go to a, to a, um, you know, an admin team that'll ultimately, you know, force it, you know, to, to a place where it gets answered if they don't have the answer, but illuminations.bible, uh, I L L U M I N A T I O N S dot Bible. And, um, it's a great site and, and, uh, you know, I think it will help people understand a little bit more what's going on. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to include a link to the website in the show description. Very cool. So what message would you like to leave with our audience today concerning this vital Great Commission work of Bible translation? I think it's an all skate. You know, my wife and I and our friends talk about that a lot. And I don't know how you say no to it. I don't know how in the world you say no to it. It's it's a basic, maybe the most basic biblical mandate in, in the context of the idea of making disciples of all nations. Well, in order to make a disciple of of, of any nation, you got to have the gospel and the 
in the person's language, right? And so we know there are a lot of languages on earth that need scripture translation. And I don't know how anyone who is saved and walking with God, following God, wants to be used by God and understands the privilege it is to give their life away can say no to this work. And we're seeing more and more people of greater and greater influence, friends who are super, super influential speakers, pastors, worship leaders, artists, athletes, entertainers, you name it, everybody jumping on the bandwagon because I think it's a bit of a clarion call for the church. How in the world can the American church have 100 plus English translations, thousands upon thousands of, of variations of those, and there are people on earth who don't have a single word of, of scripture in their language? We're going to be held accountable for that. I'm going to be held accountable for that. I'm going to stand before God someday and he's going to say, what'd you do with what I gave you? But who did I say Jesus was first? We all know that. And thankfully, by his grace, through faith that was a gift from him in the first place, I figured that one out. I can answer that one. He's my Lord and Savior, and I trusted my life to him. Then he's going to ask me what I do with what he gave me. And he's given me a ton. To whom much is given, much is required. Lots Mm -hmm. of money, lots of influence, lots of relationships, tremendous responsibility. And I want to be able to say that I stewarded my life well. And that I leveraged my life for his glory among the nations. And, and like Habakkuk says, that his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. So whatever I can do to make sure every single person on earth has access to the gospel in their language, I'm going to do it. Amen. Well, I know you're on a, a tight schedule here, Todd. Thank you so much for coming on, giving of your time and, and speaking into this, you know, very significant thing that's going on and how we can be a part of it. Well, my great joy and privilege and appreciate your heart for the nations and and the things of God and for building the kingdom. So my honor to be with you. Well, thank you so much, Todd, and God bless you. Same to you, Casey. hope you enjoyed today's interview with Todd Peterson. This marks the last look at the Great Commission work for this year. Please keep these organizations, their leaders, and all those pressing the gospel into the unreached places of the world in your prayers. Don't forget to check the show description for links to the Illuminations website. Season 2 will be coming to a close later this month with a special Christmas episode. It has been a great honor and privilege producing these episodes for you. By God's grace, I look forward to continuing to do so with Season 3 next year. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please give the show a 5-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have questions or comments, please send me an email at thislatehourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our Twitter at Casey Knowlton or the Facebook page This Late Hour. Thank you so much for joining me for the 16th episode of Season 2 of This Late Hour. Stay on the alert, dear Christian. Until next time, God bless. You have been listening to this late hour. Your contribution helps pay our fees, improve our equipment, and build better content. It is my hope that your continued support of our show may bring future interviews and exclusives. Our goal is to always be improving our show so that the church may be strengthened in our mission to bring salt and light to this present darkness. May God richly bless you.